Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Pharma Forum podcast. My name is Dominic Tai, and I'm Pharma Forum's creative and editorial director. In this instalment, I spoke to Chris Malloy, who's CEO at the UK's Medicines Discovery Catapult, about its State of the Discovery Nation report. A joint undertaking with the UK's biotech trade body, the Bioindustry Association. We looked at the impact of AI and machine learning on drug discovery and the adoption of complex cell models, two areas picked out in the report as ones to watch. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other instalments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and Stitcher, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. Chris, welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I wonder if we can start with, uh, well, if you can briefly introduce the Medicines Discovery Catapult and well, let, tell us what, where it sits within the overall Catapult network. Thank you, Dominic, and thanks to all of you who are listening to this podcast. The Medicines Discovery Catapult is part of a national network of 10 independent centres whose role is to industrialise and drive the adoption of new and emerging techniques and technologies into our sector. The Medicines Discovery Catapult, uh, that is now entering its second full year of operation under a grant funding agreement from Innovate UK, part of UKRI, looks at tools, technologies and methods that impact the sector from the concept of a medicine, that is exiting basic research, to the proof of concept in a patient, that is phase 2A. This makes up over a 100 disciplines and a sector of biotechs, of contract research organisations and of major pharma nationally um, who provide new molecules to the community and to the major uh, industrial players worldwide. So uh, the output of the Medicines Discovery Catapult are new ways of working, new tools and technologies, all of which, if they are adopted, drive productivity for the sector. Thanks, Chris. And in, in terms of, of uh, the, the work that you, you, you currently do with, with the wider life sciences sector, I suppose, and uh, Big Pharma in, in, in particular, well, when it comes down to the, the, the nuts and bolts of that, what, what, what sort of work do, are you in, engaged with, with, with the, the life sciences sector? The Medicines Discovery Catapult is a collaborative R&D organisation. It has two major areas of collaborative R&D and three platforms that help industry access part of the UK infrastructure that industry fights hard to access. Looking at the two major R&D components of the Catapult, we have a large team involved in discovery science and technology, that is the validation and industrialization of complex cellular models, new methods of bioanalysis and imaging, and the informatics that goes alongside that. And allied to that, a group involved in the AI and machine learning elements of drug discovery and early development, the the so-called informatics group. These two R&D groups work in collaboration with large companies, big pharma, with technology companies, and with biotech companies to develop and industrialize new ways of working and new technologies such that they can be adopted. 
Both of these teams are answering the somebody really needs to questions, which the whole industry, large and small, are asking of these new ways of working. In addition to these two large R&D teams, we have three infrastructure platforms, one of which is virtual R&D, which provides access to the UK's diffuse and diverse advisory and CRO networks and enables small companies and large to access advice as to what the critical path experiments needed to be done for a particular asset are. Secondly, where those experiments and that work can be done effectively through the contract research and public sector uh, environment. And then help in, for those companies and translational academics in moving those projects through a multi-party, multidisciplinary project. We also have a platform that enables large companies and small companies to access curated and consented patient samples and patient data. These patient assets are critical to increased productivity in drug R&D. The answer for most problems in, in drug discovery is in the patient, and access to patient samples and data is now absolutely critical uh, and necessary for good, low-risk, high-quality R&D. But those assets can be hard to find and hard to access, and the job of the samples and data group is to enable UK companies to access those assets in a smoother way than it can at the moment. And finally, we have a group called Drug Discovery Syndicates, and this is an innovation that enables patients, again, to be at the heart of discovery. This helps medical research charities combine with pharma, with biotech, and other providers to create virtual biotech companies, a portfolio of drug discovery assets focused on one disease anchored through to the patient via its medical research charity. These drug discovery syndicates then can be created across the nation and internationally around single diseases and replicated across multiple diseases. And this creates a new environment for doing drug discovery. So then, the Medicines Discovery Catapult, five major interventions, two of which are very R&D heavy, and three of which enable access to UK infrastructure for the benefit of large and small companies. Okay, well, thanks, thanks, Chris. That certainly puts the Medicines Discovery Catapult into, into context for, for listeners. So uh, today we're going to talk about your uh, State of the Discovery Nation report uh, was released recently, and it's the second of your uh, annual surveys on the state of the UK's medicines discovery industry. Um, also a joint report, of course, with the UK's uh, biotech trade body, the Bioindustry Association. The uh, 2019 report, as I say, was uh, released uh, recently. But can you tell us a bit about what did it re reveal about the current state of the industry? This year's report, State of the Nation 2019, reveals a thriving and vibrant community within the UK of about 300 companies whose role is to discover and develop new medicines. But a large community of over 1,200 companies in the area of provide areas of advice, contract research and other supply services, which are actually the beating heart of the UK's community and are a vital, if sometimes overlooked, community of expertise, capability and skill. The SME community, therefore, for the UK is around about 1,500 companies and 90% of the employment in those SMEs is in the service and supply sector. The majority of SMEs in the core um, biotech space of uh, who own and are developing assets 
over 60% of them have got fewer than five staff, and 80% of them fewer than 20 staff. So what does that show? That shows that we have a community which is able to progress ideas through to the clinic that combines naturally with one another to overcome the shortfalls in expertise and the gaps in capability that each of these companies will have, and that the UK has a very robust and solid foundation of drug discovery capability, both academic and industrial, um, to keep us in the pioneering position we are. The report also shows that the UK is a world-class cancer cluster, uh, and we genuinely hit above our weight in terms of our scientific and industrial capability in the areas of oncology. What the community is telling us clearly also is that AI and cell and gene therapies are hot areas of interest and investment across the community. So the demographic is SME heavy, the capability is broad, the interest areas in AI and cell and gene therapies are emerging and attracting money. And that underscores of the vibrant community that we have. But all of those communities need support. And the role of the Medicines Discovery Catapult is to help identify those market barriers faced by those organizations, be they contract research or biotech, and help both of those communities work with one another and develop the next group of products and services that are going to feed the machine for the UK and keep it at this pioneering and world-class level in drug discovery. That's the demographic. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned, of course, there that um, the UK is already a, a world-class uh, can, cancer cluster. But on a therapy area level, what, what other insights um, could be gleaned uh, from the State of the Discovery Nation report around uh, the, the current focus of the UK medicines discovery industry? If one looks at the core sector, and I use the term core because it's the definition that the Office of Life Sciences uses for the group of companies that have uh, as their core purpose, the development of drug assets. Just under 40% of the assets owned by those companies are in the area of oncology. Uh, About 20% are in infectious disease, and that's a combination of antivirals and, to a lesser extent, antibacterials. Only 12% are in the the areas of CNS, um, and I think that reflects some of the, the of the risk elements there, also the funding elements. Um, And overall then, uh, about 70% of the SME assets are in cancer, anti-infectives and CNS. If one looks at the uh, the percentage of companies in each of those sectors, just under 50%, 48% exactly, of our companies are oncology companies, about 25% anti-infectives companies, and around 15% uh, of those companies in CNS. So we do have uh, a world-class cancer cluster. And one of the important parts in that cancer cluster is actually the coordinated nature of this community and where we're pulling leading science out of academia, funded by a very clear and focused charity sector, which binds together this coalition of SMEs, large companies, academics, and small companies. And that, I think, is a critical part of its success. And what we would like to see is more of these coordinated centres focused around a medical research charity doing for other disease areas what clearly the organisations like Cancer Research UK have done for the cancer sector. 
And looking at that, um, the, the um, complexion, the makeup that you mentioned of the, the, the different um, therapy area focuses, how, how different, if, if at all, would you say that is from the, the late stage pipelines that we see within the larger pharmaceutical companies? Do uh, Is it a, a, a close mirror or are there divergences? There are some divergences. I mean, obviously, there, there's a, a global uh, interest in oncology right now, and you know, latest research is that there are about 700 uh, anti-cancer agents in clinical development pipelines worldwide, which is um, thought to be a massive oversupply. Um, however, if one looks at the, uh, the spread in the UK of, um, of these companies by asset type, the amount of anti-infectives assets in the UK uh, sector um, probably is, is, is different in the UK to the overall global big pharma um, picture. About 50% of the companies uh, in anti-infectives in the UK are in a preclinical, uh, and about 50% are in a clinical stage. Um, the biggest differential is most likely to be in the area of CNS. In the UK community, about 60% of the companies in CNS in the UK are in a clinical environment. About 40% of them are in preclinical. Um, and certainly that would not reflect um, the international big pharma portfolios of today. But what they do reflect is the risk profile that SMEs are willing to take and venture capitalists and increasingly focused funds like the Dementia Fund are willing to take in the, with the purpose of progressing a high-risk area of classical unmet patient need. Okay. And uh, one of the uh, conclusions from, from the State of the Discovery Nation report was that uh, driving innovation into uh, state-of-the-art technologies, uh, such as um, AI and complex cell models, would be, is key to maintaining the UK's global competitiveness. If we focus just on, on the first of those uh, um, to begin with, um, how, how would you say AI and uh, machine learning is, is impacting um, drug discovery? Drug discovery is fundamentally a data science. It manufactures data uh, at an increasingly massive level. Uh, and computational systems with AI and machine learning are well set to absorb and analyze large data sets, complex data sets, such as those produced in, um, uh, in drug discovery and early development. So 90% of the community agrees that AI and machine learning will have a place in, in revolutionizing drug discovery. However, 75% of budgets on average are spent on data curation. This reflects the fact without a well-curated, sound set of underlying data, AI and machine learning systems will be at a disadvantage. There are an increasing number of companies offering AI and machine learning systems to segments of drug discovery. And it is complex, even for big companies, to be able to triage uh, and understand and in, in some cases nurture the products of those companies into a pipeline that's going to deliver at a business level for them. And what we hear very clearly from large pharma is that there is a blizzard of opportunity out there that they could do with some help in answering the somebody really needs to question of which one of these things works. 
which one of these uh, or ones of these uh, fits into certain business sectors that we recognize, addresses specific or indeed cross-cutting business problems, and can we have help in managing a pipeline of vendors into our company such that we can manage the flow of these new potentially disruptive technologies into our business. To, to put uh, the use of AI in d- drug discovery into context, um, uh, as things stand um, today, how, how embedded is the technology within the drug discovery process? How, how uh, widely adopted is it? That's an exceptional question because the, the adoption of innovation is the measure of it. Just innovating and producing a new technology is less than half of the, uh, of the solution. Actually, getting it adopted and using it drives productivity, nothing else. Therefore, it's vital for companies large and small to be able to adopt these technologies in a smart way. And what we see from the community is that you know, a great deal of interest in AI, in target ID, in lead generation and optimization, and then to a lesser extent in preclinical dis- uh, development and early clinical development, but that without a strong data integration underneath it, without the ability to extract and mine high quality data, without the ability to filter and curate it, these algorithms and these systems will never reach their full adoption and purpose. So for big companies who are looking increasingly to in-house a lot of these skills and buy in a lot of these technologies, there is a huge amount of, of work, if you like, you know, the, the bit of the iceberg below the waterline is all about data curation and the, the harnessing of applied data scientists who really understand the sector. These are major barriers to the adoption of these technologies. For smaller companies, there, there's a microcosm of that problem, which is if you are a company with only five people, how many data scientists are you likely to have? Have you really got the skills and the understanding to be able to utilize some of these technologies? Um, is the scale of your data significant enough to really gain insights from these systems? So the adoption problem for both AI and will come on to complex cell models is actually far greater than the, uh, than the, the early stage innovation problem and requires independent or at least neutral nurturing and validation of these tools such that industry large and small can understand where each of them may play a significant role. And coming on to the, the second of those uh, two trends picked out by the uh, the State of the Discovery Nation report, so that of complex cell models, um, can you tell me a bit about their place in, in uh, research, I suppose particularly preclinical research, and where uh, current adoption uh, is, is for those? There is industry-wide recognition that we are failing too often in our drug discovery and early development projects. Um, data from AstraZeneca, for example, uh, presented by Mene Pangalos back in December, um, showed an 80% or more failure rate uh, as being typical uh, for projects starting off in discovery and moving through uh, to the market. Now, it's also recognized that failure rate of 70% whilst it sounds as though it's still a massive, high, massively high failure rate, would represent a huge increase in productivity for the sector. And in a high-risk environment like drug discovery and early development, one expects to fail probably more often than one succeeds. 
So driving productivity up is critical and failing early or less often is critical. So where does complex cell models fit in? For many years, we have been using reductionist cell models, single cell types in a monolayer grown on plastic as a means by which to replicate disease in man. There is a recognition across the industry that more complex models, those models that might combine cell types or have cell types growing in three dimensions or by combining multiple different cell types through organon chip technologies will allow those cells to react and respond more as they do physiologically than the current reductionist models. However, the issue is not, would that be a good idea? The issue is, what does better look like? How do we validate these against known molecules or, or drug candidates um, whose activity these systems may be able to have better predicted? And how do these models become robust and industrialized such that they can be adopted. These are big problems. And the industry is asking the somebody really needs to question of the catapult and others in this sector. Can you take these early stage tools and techniques and make them work robustly, understand uh, the frame of reference in which they, in which they work and are predicted? and be able to help the regulators understand what the data coming out of some of these models looks like, such that it becomes a natural part of a regulatory framework rather than a novelty around which people might not quite be able to get their arms around right now. So a range of different problems all to do with adoption over innovation. Okay, as you mentioned, some some big questions there. Uh, I, I, I'm, uh, do you think the medicines discovery catapult will will have the answers uh, for, for those, or you, is that something that you're you're working on to to bring people together to to develop answers to these questions? Inevitably, this is a team science effort. Um, so the medicines discovery catapult is uh, you know a nucleating point for this. We have internal expertise in cell biology in advanced cell imaging and bioanalysis, and in informatics, three vital components in getting this to work. Can we grow patient-derived stem cells in environments that will enable them to react more like they do in the patient? Can we analyze those cell models in increasingly high-content manners, for example, with mass spec imaging? And then can we deal with the data that comes out from those analyses such that we can map the fingerprint of disease in these cell models, identify drug target engagement, and be able to see whether we are getting uh, disease alteration in these models. If we can do that, and we're doing it in combination with contract research companies, with translational academics, with technology companies, if we can do that for a specific range of these uh, either diseases or technologies, we will help drive adoption. Adoption will be either driven through contract research companies taking these techniques and, and applying them, or the startup of new uh, contract research or core biopharma companies on the back of these uh, complex cell models. Now, it, when we've asked the community uh, what different therapeutic areas would be of interest to them, uh, again, we see uh, oncology and, C and CNS 
as being the, the areas of most interest. And obviously, for both of those disease areas, there is segmentation beneath those, whether it be a blood-brain barrier or whether it be microglia or, or other very specific requirements. It's important to focus in this area. You cannot do everything. So the Medicines Discovery Catapult is looking at very specific areas of oncology, very specific areas of CNS and, and some organ on a chip technologies alongside a cross-cutting area of fibrosis. As areas of focus, we are working with big, small and technology companies underpinned by strong academic endeavour to bring together uh, these coalitions of the willing. Uh, out the output from that will be licensable technologies, will be proven methods of working uh, that ultimately are all designed to drive predictability and therefore productivity. Pulling back from, the, from uh, zooming out, I suppose, from those two, two trends to look at the, the, the bigger picture, another of the areas covered by the State of the Discovery Nation report was, was how to sustain the UK's global competitiveness. Um, I, apologies in advance for mentioning the, the B word, but uh, what impact has, has Brexit, would you say, had on the medicines discovery industry so far? Brexit has obviously pervaded the, the industry for the last two years with predominantly uncertainty. Now, the drug discovery community uh, lives and breathes uncertainty through scientific, clinical and, and funding risks. So uncertainty is not a, a novelty to this community. But the one area which the community is very clearly said to us, it is feeling the pinch now, is in the area of recruitment. All of these businesses are ultimately people businesses. And we as a community rely on being able to attract and retain the highest quality talent possible. Not all of that talent today comes from the, the UK itself. And it's, we are work within a global industry. So attracting high quality people to very strong and innovative UK companies is important. And that's the area right now where UK companies are feeling the pinch. It is harder today to entice people from abroad to come and work in a high risk environment in the UK. And until the situation uh, starts to become a little clearer, that will certainly persist. But in other areas of the industry, financing seems to remain reasonably strong um, and companies are still raising good money for good assets. And the ability to license those assets uh, is also strong. So in general, the community is remaining balanced about the impact of Brexit, um, but the one specific area it finds most troubling uh, and without an obvious end in sight at the moment is access to international talent. Well, it's good, certainly good to know that it's not all uh, doom and gloom uh, with, with regards to the current situation, but hopefully uh, we will see some, some uh, more uh, clarity uh, some, sometime soon on, on those, those issues. So finally then, I wonder if you can tell me a bit about well, what's next for the UK's medicines discovery industry and, and also yourselves at the Medicines Discovery Catapult. The UK's science base is exceptional in life sciences. And whether it is through new potential drug projects, new tools and technologies, um, the, the UK's entrepreneurial and high quality academic base 
will continue to produce uh, a strong pipeline of assets. What's vitally important for the UK is our ability to bridge those assets from academia and into industry. This is a long-standing issue, and it's one of the areas that the catapults were established for. And you've seen great success from our sister catapult, the cell and gene therapy catapult, in helping that industry grow by pulling uh, academic endeavour, supporting it, and industrializing it um, into adoption. We would like to see more translation of those uh, new drug potential drug assets, of those tools and technologies. And we saw in the life sciences industrial strategy uh, that was released in 2017 a call for a, a translational engine, a translational fund to be to help drive the um, academic endeavour through into industrialised um, drug assets. We would like to see more of that, uh, and if we do see more of that, and the virtual R&D engine of the medicines discovery catapult, in fact, is built to support that to reach the goal that the Bioindustry Association has for its 2025 vision to see 150 companies at a clinical stage in the UK. Um, that's a, still a, an impressive, ambitious, but achievable goal if we gang up on the problem. Now, for the Medicines Discovery Catapult, as a supporter to the industry, as a national workshop to the industry, large and small, we're here to answer the somebody really needs to questions. We are not here to reproduce what is happening elsewhere in the sector. We're here to address those market barriers as they appear, build coalitions of players around those market barriers, and through active R&D and use of the UK infrastructure to address them and reduce them so that the industry can move forward. Those can be tools, technologies, access to patient assets, and so on. What I see as a longer-term vision for the UK in drug discovery is to adopt the concepts of precision medicine, personalised medicine or stratified medicine, whichever of those definitions one chooses to use, at an earlier and earlier stage within discovery. Let us, for example, start discovery programmes on three or four different disease subtypes rather than just the one. Let us see active, stratified preclinical development. Let us see stratified phase ones and early phase twos. And let's move the personalization of our drug discovery programs earlier and earlier in the process, rather than waiting until mid-stage clinical development to decide how a, a medicine might be more personalized or targeted. I think that's a more uh, mature approach to an industry that definitely requires us to be more targeted and one that perhaps addresses some of the productivity issues which the industry, particularly major industry right now, is, is seeing in the return on investment of its R&D portfolio. So that's a longer term vision delivered through more predictive and more productive tools and technologies in the early stage, more effective ways of working validated by neutral brokers such as the Medicines Discovery Catapult who are here to answer the questions from big and small companies about somebody really needs to. Okay, well, thanks very much, Chris. That certainly sounds like it's a really exciting uh, long-term future then for the UK's medicines discovery industry. So at this point, we've uh, run through all of the questions for today's podcast. So it just remains to say thank, thank you very much to you for, for joining the Pharma Forum podcast. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you very much. 
And that wraps up this episode of the Pharma Forum podcast and my chat with Chris Malloy from the Medicines Discovery Catapult about the state of drug discovery in the UK. You can find more details of this episode, including a download link for the podcast and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. The podcast is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Acast and Stitcher, where you can find and subscribe to it by searching for Pharma Forum. And don't forget to visit our website to sign up for daily or weekly email pharmaceutical news and analysis bulletins. And follow us on Twitter, where we are at Pharma Forum.